0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series on the book of Revelation as he speaks about the red horse, reminding us that no matter what the future holds, God holds the future. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now.
1: Good morning, Impact. Welcome this morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. So we're going to dive right in. Today, continuing in our Revelation series, uh, we're going into our second horse here um, that we... uh, couple weeks ago, uh, introduced the white horse. And we know the rider on it was the Antichrist. And we went to, uh, into it in depth and detail back into Daniel and various books of the Bible to look at who the Antichrist was. Then we held our horses for a couple of weeks, right? And uh, we talked about the rapture and went in depth into that. And then last week we looked at, you know, all this revelation leads us to make disciples. And that's who we are as a church, as we just celebrated our sixth uh, birthday last Sunday. So here we are today Um, after this white horse had come on the scene, now in Revelation 6, a red horse will emerge. And the title of today's message is what in the world is going on? Because I'm gonna promise you, there's no uh, more pertinent time to have this message than what we see happening in our world right now. What you're gonna see is what's in the newspaper point to what the Bible is saying is gonna happen in the end times, okay? And I think you're gonna learn a lot today. Um, I didn't count, but I'm well over 20 hours of study on this message, okay? So I hope you appreciate what's about the, what the Lord's about to say, because I think we're going to learn a lot. If you're uh, a little bit older like me, maybe back in the um, early 90s, two, early 2000s, you remember a show by the name of Early Edition, all right? And it followed the adventures of this man who mysteriously receives a Chicago Sun-Times newspaper, all right, the, the day before it was actually supposed to be published, okay? So what he did is he got tomorrow's news today before it happened, all right? And he used this knowledge to prevent certain terrible events every day. So what he knew, he knew exactly what he needed to do today because he found out what was supposed to happen tomorrow. See where the Lord's taking this? You guys, Bible prophecy, some people don't want to hear it, but it encourages us. Remember, prophecy is there not to discourage us, but to encourage us. It's not there to frighten us. It's there to enlighten us, all right? It is there to motivate us toward first getting our lives right with Christ, and living holy lives, and then reaching others for the gospel. It, 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 it ensues a sense of urgency. The first church was was versed in prophecy, and they taught prophecy, and that's why they were always about the gospel. They were always about moving their lives in such a way that other people would see Christ. That's what we need to do today. Guys, the 21st century American church has gotten away from this. It's about time we got back to it, because there, something is going on. So, Prophecy basically is God's newspaper for us. It's telling us what's going to happen tomorrow so we can have the information today and do something about it. And that's change our lives and help Christ, the the message of Christ, go forward in the darkness. So in a sense today, we're almost going to get a little bit of an apologetic lesson. We're going to understand almost why we believe what we believe because we're going to see the Bible unfolding a little bit in front of our face And as if we already needed that, because every prophecy of the first coming of Jesus was already fulfilled, written hundreds of years before he walked the earth, and it was fulfilled. So on his second coming, what should we expect? That prophecy to be fulfilled literally in every aspect and in every way. And it should fire us up to live for Christ, to change our lives, and then to fire us up for evangelism and discipleship. And then also, if we have the right mindset, that's an eternal mindset, then it should encourage us and motivate us as we look to the coming of our Lord. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're here to worship you. Lord, we're here for you. Lord, we want to present your word. So Lord, I pray that you would move. All this study this week and last week wasn't just to bring some cool information. It was so you could use it to open people's eyes and hearts to the truth, Lord, that people would be changed. Lord, and I know some people think this is hard, but Lord, it's not hard if our focus and our heart is on you. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with your word today. Lord, that we would see your truth and how your word is accurate and you keep your promises. You keep your promises to Israel, even in their unfaithfulness, and Lord, you're going to keep your promise to us, even though we may have been unfaithful to you in our past. When we turn to you, Lord, you welcome us and you redeem us and you restore us and you cover us in your blood and you make us new and you lead us to walk and newness of life. God, I pray over that today for everybody here and everybody listening to my voice. Lord, that we would get our lives right with you and that we would be vigilant about your gospel, reaching the lost and making disciples, teaching them your word so they can grow in Christ and not just be babes, just drinking milk their whole life, but they could grow in Christ. Lord, go before us and do what only you can you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a copy of God's word with you, you can turn to Revelation chapter six. We're gonna read the passage of one through eight about the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, if you will. And then of course, our focus today will be on the red horse. Revelation chapter six, verses one through eight. It says, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword with hunger and death and by the beasts of the earth. We'll look at the black horse and the pale horse together next week. But today we want to look at this red horse and we see that this rider himself did not bring war and destruction. Did you catch that? He himself, so this is a metaphorical, right? This isn't a a actual person like on the white horse was the Antichrist. This is a metaphorical person that that the, the Lord unleashes to what? Remove peace, the Bible says, okay? Do you know that peace is a gift from God? I mean, seriously, what did the angels say when Jesus came? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? Peace. We know we're not always at peace, but in general, There's a restrainer on society. And we looked at that and we talked about that with the rapture. That Once the restrainer is removed, basically all hell breaks loose on earth. And man is open to their own selfishness and pride and, and greed for power and money and fame. And that's what this writer comes. And it was granted to him through the authority of God to take peace from the earth. So then men quickly rush in with war, destruction, basically a judgment of God. This isn't anything new in terms of the Bible because all throughout history, Old Testament, a lot of times when, when God brought some judgment against a group of people, namely the Israelites, we've seen as an example, he would use another nation to come against them. All right, We saw that with the Babylonians coming against them for the sin where they wouldn't turn to God after numerous, numerous warnings from the prophets, okay? But in general, we know, you might say war, Brad. Well, war's nothing new. I mean, war's gone on since even the Old Testament times, and and it's continued for the ages. Even our modern day age, we're marked with war and conflict. And since World War II, there have been more than 150 wars of some kind in the world. If we look at Matthew 24, when Jesus talking with his disciples, and they asked him, Lord, what would be the signs of the end of the age and the signs before your coming? And of course, he said, be careful, no one deceives you, right? We we looked at that. We talked about how it kind of follows this pattern with you, if you will, in the tribulation period where the Antichrist comes on. But then he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. The kingdom will rise against kingdom, nation against nation. We're going to see that in its various forms. And he said, all of this cumulatively was like birth pains. And those of you that have had the experience of your wife having a child, you understand what those birth pains are, right? And they start maybe light and far apart. But as the day draws near, what happens? They intensify and they get closer together. And that's how the Lord gave this picture of what we would see as we got closer, especially once the tribulation starts to hit after the rapture, okay? So war's not new, but here's what we need to look at. This is important. When we look at, and and we talk about end time war, okay? Tribulation is stuff. Yes, there's going to be various popcorn wars, if you will. Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. But but when we can get specific to prophecy and end times war, there's going to be certain key players that have to show up on the scene for us to identify and say, aha. And we're going to look at that, okay, and see who those are. In Matthew 24, deeper down, you can uh, read verse 32 through 34, if you can uh, flip there, in that Olivet Discourse that Jesus was giving. Verse 32 and 34 says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away away. A lot of people get somewhat confused in this passage and look to this point where Jesus says, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. And they look to the super sign of the end times, which is, of course, the Israel coming back as a nation in 1948. And they say that that started this generational clock that the Lord is talking about there. Well, if that's the case and you use Psalms 90, um, that uh, kind of identifies what a uh, generation or what a lifetime is uh, of of mankind, 70 to 80 years. Well, we're this year in May will be 75 years. So um, that means it would be really soon. But that is not actually the starting point that Jesus was referring to. Remember, we've got to not just cherry pick a verse and, and, and try to make it kind of explain what we want it to, we've got to look at the whole passage in context. What was Jesus just talking about before this fig tree example? If you look back up, he talks about the great tribulation. He talks about it where it starts with the what? The abomination of desolation. What's that, you say? You can go back and listen to messages. We've explained that a lot. In Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, it's very clear that Antichrist comes on, starts a covenant, all right? this 70th week of Daniel, which is a seven-year tribulation period. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it's very specific that at the midweek point, he breaks this treaty, and it's the abomination of desolation. So Jesus is pointing to this abomination of desolation in the great tribulation. Then he says, when you see all these signs, this generation will not pass away before it comes. So what's he saying there? In other words, once we get into the tribulation period, it's not going to take hundreds of years for the end to come. It's not even going to take decades. It's a seven-year period. It's quick. And those that are there will see the end. Okay? So give definition to that. Some people will use a a Joel chapter 3 passage to point to that 1948 reference and and saying that um, the generation that sees that, the 1948 um, coming of Israel into their camp, into their land, um, that that generation, of course, We'll see the end, all right? But we'll look at that here in a little bit, and there's a difference. But we just explained, keeping in Matthew 24 in context, that that is not the case, that Jesus is specifically referring to tribulation events. That generation will not pass away before they see the end, all right? A lot of generations thought they were living in the end times, all right? Every, all through history, y'all are, a lot of people say, well, we're in the end. This is, all, this is the end, all right? But actually, we are, the, in fact, the only generation That has Israel brought back home after being scattered amongst many nations, okay? So, um, you've heard me many times say we're in the fourth quarter. Well, how can you point to that, Brad? We're going to show you that biblically speaking because my opinion doesn't matter, okay? All right? What matters is God's word. So, We're going to see that, and we know Israel was brought back from many nations. That's important, many nations, because that's fulfilling of Bible prophecy that has to happen before dozens of end-time prophecies take place. We know that um, they've been dispersed two different times. Some people would say all of this stuff has already happened, and it happened after the first time they were displaced. Let me show you where that's inaccurate. We know the first time they were displaced, okay, around 500 B.C., when the Babylonians come in through Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything, took them back into captivity for 70 years, okay? Then the Lord allowed them to come back, rebuild the temple, and, and form together. But where did they come back from? Babylon, how many nations is that? One. Is one many? One's one. Okay, so this was not already fulfilled through that return. What happened again in 70 A.D. was the Roman Empire come again and destroyed the temple, took over Jerusalem, and scattered the people amongst the nations, the Bible says. "Okay, So now through Bible prophecy where it talks about Israel coming back from many nations, and the Bible we'll see here even says that, then once they come together, now end time prophecy can be fulfilled. So there's your fourth quarter start. When did the clock start? 1948. May 14th to be exact. 1948. We start the fourth quarter. All right, so how long is that fourth quarter? We don't know. There's not a scoreboard in life like there is in a football game. I can't tell you whether we're 10 minutes left, five minutes left, or we're at the two-minute warning, and we got one possession left. I don't know, but I can tell you we're in the fourth quarter, okay, and we can see signs of the times around. Let's look at the Joel chapter 3 passage because I think it's important to to look at because it's going to point to a couple things as well. And then uh, have reference about Israel returning from many nations in that regard. So Joel chapter 3, just going to read verses 1 and 2. So you can turn with me through the Old Testament. How many of you guys know that to to preach revelation and eschatology, you have to go back to Old Testament, right? You got to do it to make understanding and clarity. So here we go. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, For behold, in those days, at that time, All right, at what time? Kind of the end of times. When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, there you go, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Hold up, what are you talking about? And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. God's not happy here. All right, the nations have divided his nation, scattered his people, and they've taken Israel's land. He's not happy. What did you see there? God talking about his people coming back, all right, when he brings them back. So that's key. And then he says, I will gather all the nations, not just a handful, all the nations will come where? Valley of Jehoshaphat, okay? That is an area that's between the Temple Mount, okay, and the Mount of Olives. So, That is the battle of Armageddon, guys. That's what what God is alluding to here. He's going to bring them all in. And where does Jesus, at the second coming, when when his feet hit the ground, where does he hit? We've talked about this 40 times already. The Mount of Olives, and it splits in half, right? And then the battle of Armageddon is essentially a battle that never really happens because when Jesus comes and he speaks with a sword, it's done, There's no long, fought out, drawn out battle with Armageddon like all the movies and everything likes to depict. It's Jesus coming back and just like he spoke the earth and life into existence, he speaks them into destruction. There is no battle with our Lord. It's finished when he hits. That's Zechariah 14. talks about him coming and splitting the Mount of Olives. So we see the Bible making sense. But something in here that's pertinent, that obviously that God has a problem with people dividing his land. Did you see that? That's an issue to the Lord. In fact, there's a book out there that I haven't read, maybe some of you have, that points to 126 different examples of natural disasters that have happened after people were trying to divide the land of Israel. Did you know that? Whether you call that a, 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 just a consequence or a God-sequence, I'll let you be the judge of that, but there's 126 at least different examples, one of which was um, when uh, Israel was being forced by America to, uh, and, and others to give up the Gaza Strip, um, and that happened, and five days later, Hurricane Katrina hit, one of the biggest natural disasters to hit our nation, just five days later. Another one was more recent, December 10th and 11th of 2021, F-4 tornado Deadly late season tornado in in, uh, December of an outbreak caused catastrophic damage and numerous fatalities. The strongest um, tornado and tornado outbreak in December ever. What was going on at that time? Our government was trying to force Israel to stop building 9,000 houses in East Jerusalem. And they were going to open up an embassy for the Palestines. Because they didn't recognize the uh, East Jerusalem, West Bank, and Golan Heights as belonging to them. And they wanted them to give it up. God's sequence or consequence? You call. I don't know. But God doesn't like it when people try to make Israel divide their land. He'll say, I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. That's just the Bible, all right? So, but when we look to end time war, we know that end time war must center around Israel, all right? And those are the ones we're looking at for saying, are we getting close? Because we know that before things come to a culmination, oftentimes, big events will leave a shadow in their wake, right? Or a tail behind them leading up to that escalation, okay? So we will see that. So as such, this becomes a very timely message. Can I just tell you that? Extremely timely, in fact. Because what's going on in our world today? Well, we've seen Russia attack Ukraine. What's that about? Is Russia on the rise? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Russia's not even mentioned in the Bible, are they? What's the Bible say? If you look at Ukraine, Ukraine's not a major player, but what we will see, Russia is highly prophetic in the end times. All right, We're going to take a look at that. After World War II, there was basically two superpowers in the world, the USA and the USSR, the Soviet Union. But we know that the Chernobyl blast in the early 90s there caused the collapse and the breaking apart and everything that happened there with Russia and the Soviet Union divided and broke apart. So they've had a back seat. So as we see them start to want to desire to take over nations and take wealth and things they have, are they trying to come back? We'll talk about that and look at that. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture that we're going to point to where we can say, that God divinely has prophecy about what's going to happen and take place eventually with Russia and other countries against Israel, okay? So Ezekiel saw this coming, all right? There was a a rise and eventual, uh, this rise and eventual demise of Russia some 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel prophesied about a strong Russian rise and attack along with some other nations, all right, that will come against them. And what we're going to see is the most detailed prophecy concerning the future war, all right? And these are essentially almost new attackers if you look at the Bible, all right? Because we know Israel's had common enemies in the past and and this will be, in a sense, a a different one, a new one. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 38. We're gonna read verses one through 12 and 15 and 16, all right? So you can flip over there if you were in Joel. You can flip over a couple pages back to Ezekiel. Read verses one through 12 in 15 and 16, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed. A great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma from the far north and all of its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, there you go. In times, this is not already fulfilled, okay? as some people like to, to believe. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. That's the key, mountains of Israel. This is the valley where this takes place, on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. That's important. Take to plunder and to take booty, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the wastes places that are again inhabited, there you go again, people brought back in, and against the people gathered from the nations, there you go again, who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Let's quickly read verses 15 and 16. It says, then you will come from your place out of the far north. Where are they coming from? far north. That's important because we'll look at that. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days. What days? Latter days. And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before your eyes. Okay, a lot in there. So we, we see though that there's this Gog-Magog war, basically, as it's referred to, all right? So looking at Gog, what is that? Who is that? What is that? The Greek word there is is for a person. It's it's a title, like a president, a leader, okay? So you start to look at a leader, and you start to look at far north, and we're going to talk about that in some regard and see who the Bible is alluding to, okay? So but looking at at, uh, at Russia, because we're going to look and see how this is pointing to Russia as Magog and Gog, the leader of Magog, and Prince of Rosh, okay? And we know that we're looking at the leader of Russia then, in a sense. Right now, that leader is Putin, okay? We know he's led this uh, event that we see in our news and, and have so for a long time about him coming against the Ukraine. What does all this mean? Does it mean that he is Gog? Not necessarily. He could be. He's Gog-like. He's Gog-esque, if you will, all right? He's shown his, um, his evil in his heart that uh, wanting to uh, bomb even women and children and um, nursing homes and the like and kill innocent people, okay? So we've seen this, but it doesn't mean that he's necessarily it because it could just be setting the stage for a ruler more evil than himself to take over in the future. Who knows, okay? But what we can say is definitely with this type of movement that we know Putin and, and what he wants to do is revive the Soviet Union, And bring all these nations together back in power, okay? Because he wants money and power, okay? So basically, we could definitely say Ukraine will probably not be his end game once that's done, okay? So we're going to look at that. Basically, what we are seeing, though, we can point to this, is that we're seeing the most aggressive main stage military action that's been taken since World War II, okay, by this attack. So let's go and look at Magog. Magog. Alright, so Magog is, a, is like an alliance of nations, and we get this list, and we get in the Bible there in chapter 38 that, that there's the, this Gog of Magog that is the prince of Rosh, all right, R-O-S-H. On a linguistic basis, um, most people look to and point to that Rosh is the beginning word of the word Russia, okay, so that's on a linguistic basis, all right, but... We don't have to take that on its own because somebody could arm wrestle over that and say, well, that doesn't say that or whatever. Okay, we can just like rock, paper, scissors. Okay, cool, whatever. But this next point that the Bible clearly points to gives us definitive reason to know that we're talking about Russia, okay? And that is the location. How many of you know when the Bible talks about direction from something that it's talking about directions from where? Israel, okay? Because even... In the Bible, in Ezekiel chapter 5, God said, I've set Jerusalem in the midst of the nations. That word midst in the Greek, or uh, in the Hebrew rather, is the word navel, okay? The center, all right? And so anywhere that we have reference of directions, northeast, southwest, we're always talking about from Israel, okay? So we have this map pick where you can see a little bit of that. And when you draw this line from Israel, is it up there? I can't see It might be coming in a minute. All right, if you draw a line straight up from Israel on this map, you see where you're going to run into. There's only one place to run if you keep running from Israel over there. And that's straight up, and basically you run right into Russia, even Moscow, almost directly north above it. So there's only one nation that could come, and that is Russia. All right, so therefore we get this prophecy. It even talks about this attack from the north as we read in verse 15, but it'll also say it again in chapter 39, verse 2. So we have this reference of the attack from the far north, from the north. List of other countries there. Um, Some people, a lot of theologians debate and argue over who specifically this points to. Um, So I'll I'll list them here briefly. Some may disagree, some may agree, but ultimately we can say there's going to be a bunch of nations coming with them, and there is going to be some specific ones that we can point out. Uh, Most believe that Meshach Tubal is the modern-day Turkey, specifically Persia. When it talks about Persia, that is modern-day Iran, okay? That's where Iran is on that map. So you say, how'd that happen? Well, in 1935, Persia changed their name to Iran, okay? So we know that's the nation they're talking about there. What has Iran Iran said they want to do? Wipe Israel off the map. Got it? All right. Okay, so... uh, kind of start, try, start to see where some tensions arise that will come to fulfill this Bible prophecy. Ethiopia there is Sudan, of course, a longtime uh, uh, enemy of, of Israel. Uh, Libya, of course. Gomorrah, some believe is uh, modern-day Germany. And then uh, Tugarma, a uh, nation from uh, up, uh, up north. They're all coming, though, regardless of who they are, where they are. They're all in there, and they're coming against Israel at some point here for this war, all right? Here's a big question. Why attack Israel? Israel's small, right? I mean, Israel is, is dinky. It's like, it's like the size of New Jersey. And Why would you take all these nations to come against these little pipsqueaks? All right? Why attack Israel? Well, verse 12 in our Ezekiel 38 passage tells us why they will come. All right. It tells us in that verse that they will come to steal wealth okay? That's to take booty and plunder, all right? Um, That's not the urban uh, dictionary definition of the term. It's to take prey and spoil from wars, to take things, okay? They want to gather stuff, all right? We know that Israel, in fact, even though small, they are very prosperous, very prosperous. They have an extensive oil and natural gas supply that's been untapped, okay? So uh, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. We know they have minerals in the Dead Sea as well. The second reason that verse 12 in uh, chapter 38 gives is they want the land, that they'll come against the land, all right? They want that property. What does God say on the before in, Daniel, in Joel chapter 3? I'm against you because you've divided my land, all right? Number three, it says in verse 12, the reason they're going to attack Israel is to slaughter the people. They're going to, the Bible says they're going to come up against my people like a cloud that covers the land. That's all these armies of the north coming to attack one of the smallest nations that exist. All right? So that's the why. But when? When will this happen? What are we looking at? All right? All right. The Bible gives reasons here, uh, uh, here again where we know when this will happen. First, it says that Israel must be present in their land. All right, we've seen that through that passage. We know we can check that box because after the diaspora with them being scattered amongst the nations for 1,900 years, um, since 70 AD, they have come back as of uh, May 14th, 1948, and they are identified as a nation again. So none of this prophecy could be fulfilled until that happened. Very important to understand. Number two reason of when, the Bible says, they'll be prosperous in the land, okay? Very clear that they will be prosperous. Ezekiel chapter 36, we won't have time to read because I want to speed us along, but verse 10 talks about Israel coming back and inhabiting the cities and the ruins that are rebuilt, again, talking about coming in from the nations. And then verse 11, God says, I'm going to, when that happens, I'm going to do better for you than at the beginning, That God himself would prosper their land. So that's important. The prophecy again fulfilled when we see Israel being prosperous. How prosperous are they? Let me tell you, I had to uh, get some stats here. Israel has one public company for every 12,500 citizens. Compared to the U.S., we have one company for every 47,000. They have one for every 12,500. We have one for every 47,000. Israel has the most non-U.S. NASDAQ companies in the world. They're ranked third most innovative country in the world. They have 500 startup companies a year. That's more than any other country besides the U.S. Now, even still, years ago, people would say, well, what do you have other than the Dead Sea and the minerals in there? But less than a decade ago now, they have discovered this massive oil natural gas reserve in Israel, all right? Some 32 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, okay? Available that's untapped. And I want you to think about this, all right? Inside this Russian-Ukraine war, that Russian pipeline through this war has been shut down. What's the significance of that? Europe buys a third of their oil supply and natural gas from Russia through this pipeline. It's shut down. What if Europe decides, hey, you're going to keep this pipeline shut down for some time. We're going to get with Israel, tap this out. We're going to start buying our stuff from them. What did Russia just do? Lose a lot of money. Do they want that? Mm Mm-mm. I'm trying to build, so you start to see where escalation can occur and reason for Russia to come and take what Israel has. Third reason of when the Bible says is they um, that Israel must be at peace, and more than at peace, they must be unguarded. All right, this is what kind of complicates things a little bit because yes, uh, there's no necessarily walls and stuff around Israel and all that kind of stuff, but are they at peace? Uh, not really. Are they unguarded? No, not really, all right? At what point could they possibly be totally unguarded? Or or is it just the fact that if they're not actively at war, that's considered peace and unguarded? Who knows, all right? But the Bible is very clear that they will be peaceful and unguarded. Some people point to this unguardedness as saying that once the Antichrist comes and and puts in uh, uh, some promises for them, and saying that they will take, he'll take care of them, that they let down their guard. They, they think somebody has their back. Well, that doesn't necessarily have to mean the treaty's signed yet. That's important. He could just make verbal promises to them, and they start to release their guard. And, and peace come, because he's going to be a, a man that promises peace, all right, amongst people in the world. So obviously there's going to be a, a time where they do not feel threatened, and that's when this will happen. Okay? All that put together. So, God said he was going to put, put a, a hook in their jaw and bring them in. That word hook, that Greek word hook, all right, or uh, word there for hook is a nose, like in, in a captive, a nose ring and a captive to lead them around. So, God's going to draw them in. When you look at Iran, what would Iran have to do? Obviously, we talked about they want to wipe Israel off the map. There's some hate there. Why? What's going on there? If you know much about Iran, it's run basically as a Muslim country. Matter of fact, they changed their name again to the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's run by leaders of the Muslim faith, specifically the Shia Muslims, all right? And what they believe in a nutshell, I'll give you a little brief view of their eschatology um, that they have, is they believe Allah has called them to destroy Israel, and, and that will bring in the end times. And they believe once they've destroyed Israel that the hidden imam, the 12th imam, will come into Jerusalem with Jesus, all right, and Jesus will claim to be a Muslim and call the world to convert to Islam. That's their eschatology, all right, warped and uh, deceived. But you see inside of that is their call to destroy Israel, okay. So, um, how will they do that? We know nu- uh, that there's been talks of nuclear bombs being developed in Iran, and we know there's uh, supposed to be nuclear deals and peace treaties that's, that was going to stop their advancement of making that, that stuff, but have they stopped? No. Matter of fact, they've kept going. In other words, they've lied. There's a, there's a, a, a concept in, in Islam where they believe they can lie for the advancement of the faith, for Islam, okay? So, all this treaty and stuff, they're going to sign it and be like, Psh, never keep the intended in the first place. And they're doing what they want to do, okay? So does the Bible point to anything about uh, possibly even looking at, at nuclear warfare? Well, let's look in Zechariah. And uh, there might be a picture here of uh, nuclear war or bomb that could be let off and coming in the future. And, and God gives a graphic description of that. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 12. I'm going to read that for you. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 12, the word of God says this, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord shall strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. I want you to recognize the author of this scripture is living in Bible times. They don't even have firecrackers yet. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And he's describing something. All right. Where there's basically flesh melting before bones hit the ground, okay? If you know anything about uh, nuclear weapons, the heat from a nuclear weapon can produce 150 million degrees Fahrenheit heat in a fraction of a second. That's how. It's done. So, some military experts believe that Iran already has the ability to launch a missile that carries an electro, electrical magnetic pulse, an EMP. What's that? Basically something that will, will cause mass devastation and shutdown of everything electrical over a nation. So they could fly a, a fake satellite over the US, it explodes and lets gamma rays come over and shut down everything electrical across the nation. Planes fall out of the sky, your refrigerator don't work, your car won't start, communications are shut down, and everybody's sent back to the 18th century just from one explosion of that, okay? So, Iran, obviously, with their not only just hatred, but their felt uh, religious call to killing Jews and shutting down Israel. If they have the bombs, if they have the nuclear weapons, it's not a matter of fact that if they'll use it, it's just when. It's just when. When will it happen? So looking at a a statement of some people uh, years ago said, well, they don't even have the first um, nuclear bomb in place now. Um, That's changed now. Uh, A warning from Rafael Mariano Grossi of the International Atomic Energy Agency says, quote, one thing is true. Talking about Iran, they have amassed enough nuclear material for several nuclear weapons, not one at this point. So they have it. And then for the longest time, there was the fact: okay, great, you've got all your nuclear stuff involved, but they didn't have a rocket sophisticated enough to deliver it far enough to hit Israel. That was the big deal for a while. That has changed now as well. There's a, a picture I'm going to put up here of uh, the rocket that they now have that's capable of reaching Israel, and On it, if you can see the the lettering that's written on the side of that rocket over there, it's an Arabic inscription on the side that says Kebar Shikan. It refers to an ancient Jewish oasis called Kebar in the Arabian Peninsula that was overrun by Muslim warriors in the 7th century. So they have labeled this side and named this rocket after a battle where the Muslims defeated the Jews. In other words, they just made a rocket and put Israel's name on it, okay, all right? So a lot of people say, okay, well, what does all this mean? When are they gonna use it? Um, Well, Israel themselves they know this and they know that the threat from this, so they've actually put in their budget billions of dollars to bomb Iran at some point, okay? It's in their budget, they've been training for that. Obviously, when that happens, then there's gonna be escalation from Iran back and other people coming with them. When U.S. put sanctions on Russia, talking back to Russia, who are the major players in this? Russia, Persia, Iran, right? Coming against Israel. When the U.S. put uh, sanctions on Russia on the Ukraine war, Russia basically said, fine, but you can't sanction our dealings with Iran. Russia and Iran are already in some type of alliance and friendship and connection together. So if Israel bombs Iran, what do you think may happen? Iran retaliate and who's gonna join? Right? Well, obviously, planning this message, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I just got news that yesterday, Israel has in fact just attacked Iran with drone hits on factories. Okay? It's just as of yesterday. Coming from an Israel air base, they have just um, sent drone attacks onto Iran, Iran factories. all right let's go ahead and pray guys and uh get him taken care of lord we love you father we thank you for jesus pray that you would just be uh with my brother lord as we care for him and uh lord look to um what we need to to get him right lord you know and uh, Father, we pray that you'd be with him and touch him father in your holy name all right thank you lord So to continue and to bring us toward conclusion rather quickly, how does this all end with Gog Magog? If you read verses 18 through 23, which we will not take the time to do, God basically says, my fury will show in my face that's set up against them. Basically, he that neither slumbers nor sleeps, David said, over Israel is going to come to the rescue, all right? All right. So basically, ultimately, this culmination of nations that come against this small nation of Israel are going to fail. Why? Because the defender of Israel, God Almighty, sets his fury and his wrath against them. He is the victor. They don't even have to swing a sword, shoot a gun, nothing. God defeats all these nations. How? With natural calamities. You can read that passage, but it talks about there's first massive earthquakes, earthquake off the Richter scale, where it says even though the epicenter is in Israel, everyone across the world will feel it. Can you imagine that? And off the Richter scale, massive earthquakes centered in Israel as they come in. He's going to cause military confusion, whether that's from this earthquake and the dust and the fear and everything, but basically communications break down and they're going to turn on each other and start friendly fire on each other and defeat each other. God says they'll bring pestilence and bloodshed amongst them, break out of a a malignant plague, if you will. Verse 22 points to he'll uh, rain down rain, hail, fire, and brimstone upon them. To defeat them, we know that fire and brimstone, of course, was what God used to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. That's how God defeats them with natural causes. And then he calls in chapter 39, verse 17 through 20, you can go back and read that later. He calls the birds and the beasts of the earth to come and to devour the remains. And God calls this a sacrificial meal that he made for them. It's going to take Israel seven months. To bury all the dead bodies. You can see that in verse 12 of chapter 39. It's going to take them seven years to uh, burn all the equipment, the military weapons and such. That's in verse nine of chapter 39. So which leads to timings. Some people say, well, when does this happen on the tribulation rapture kind of timeline? There's varying views as when uh, this uh, Gog Magog war takes place. Some people have it starting just before the rapture. Most people have it starting after the rapture. Uh, Some people have it in this time frame between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. Because we know the rapture does not start the tribulation. The actual signing of the treaty of the Antichrist with Israel starts the tribulation. So there could be um, days, months, weeks, even years all right, in between the rapture and the actual signing of a treaty. So there could be a gap in time where Gog Magog takes place. Who knows? Again, think about... As the Antichrist comes on, before he signs the treaty, I'm sure he's going to be popular. He's just like, he's going to come up one day and sign a treaty. There's probably going to be years of talks and uplifting of him as this kind of guru that brings peace to the earth. And like I said, maybe he talks sweet to Israel verbally and they let down their guards and that's where this attack can take place. But we know that there's seven years that need to take place for them to burn the equipment. All right. Whether that's during the seven year tribulation period, all before it happens, who knows? All right. But God knows. So a little uh, reference when it takes place. Some people believe it won't take place until the Antichrist actually signs the treaty because that will bring in the peace of Israel where they let their guard down. Okay, Doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Like I said, it could be verbal. Who knows, but it's somewhere in that time. But like we said, the culmination is then... But the tail and the working up is now. And we're seeing those nations rise to power, have significance and interest against Israel. And that's where we can see the newspaper in advance for tomorrow and see what is to come and how God is working this out. What should all this do? It shouldn't scare you. You say, hold up, what are you talking about? You're talking about nuclear bombs and all this kind of stuff. If you're in Christ, this should not scare you. If you don't know Jesus and you haven't surrendered to him as Lord, it should scare the bejeebies out of you. And that should make you bend your knee and get your life right with him now before you walk out this place. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. What do we do? Do we live in fear, Brad, that the Lord may come back? No, we plan like the Lord's not coming back for 100 years, but we live like he's coming back tomorrow. That's what you do. We live our lives and we reach people for the cause of Christ, but we are prepared to meet our Lord as he comes. This is the most astounding victory of the largest military mismatch in military history that we've just read about. And God will get all the glory because there will be no doubt who saved Israel. We serve the God of the impossible. You know, there's some application to this in our lives that he's faithful even sometimes when we're not. And when we turn our eyes and our lives to him, that he will come in and do something in our lives that we can't do and that the world can't do for us. And that he, when it seems like all hope is gone and defeat is imminent, that he will step in and do something in your life that only he can get the glory for if you'll let him. Will you surrender to him? God can change everything. He can. And even if he doesn't, he's promised to walk with us through the valley And he's promised victory at the other side. In Christ, his son, that gave his life for you. You know, if you're heading to a big city on a trip, as many of you I know have done, as you get closer to the big city, those signs that were once far apart start to get what? Closer together, and they start to get bigger because you're closer to the city, and there's all kinds of streets and turns and things to put on these signs. So they're bigger, they're larger, they're closer together. As we're heading toward the end, the signs will get closer together and bigger. if there's any generation of people that ever needed to be ready, we need to be ready right now. Our redemption is drawing near. Will you identify with Christ, the victor? Will you allow him to live a life through you and in you that only he can get the glory for? And He'll give you a peace, a purpose, a hope, and an identity in him that the world will never offer you. Why would you turn away from that? Bow your head and close your eyes. As we close our service, as we do each week, I want to offer an opportunity for people in here to answer the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart and mind right now. Don't wait Don't let Satan pluck the seed when you leave this place. I promise he'll do it. He'll take the the Lord's call on your heart right now. If you don't answer it right now, and he'll remove it before you get to your car right now, answer Jesus. If he's calling you and you've never committed and entrusted your life to him, say yes to him right now and receive him as Lord of your life and the forgiveness that he gave and finished at Calvary. I'm going to ask you to do that and receive in him and committing your life to him and and lead you through a prayer here in a little bit, knowing that the words by themselves don't save you. But Romans 10, 9 and 10, if your heart's right, it's by your heart that you believe and are justified. And if you call out to God today, you will be saved. Will you do that? You might be in here and you say, Brad, I've walked with Christ earlier, but lately I've drifted away and, and I've been living for myself the things of this world. And I want to come running back to Jesus today like the prodigal son. I'm coming back. He's ready to receive you in that. And if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now and do business with God. So to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my savior. I've been living for myself, the things of this world and Lord, it's separated me from you. And today I wanna come running back. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die on the cross, to break his body and shed his blood, that I could be redeemed, restored, renewed, that I could be forgiven. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God and that he stands in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I wanna claim that same victory right now in my life, Lord, because I need it right now. And Father, I commit right now, my commitment to you is that all of me is for all of you. Every step I take, every breath I make will be for your glory. Lord, come into my life, change me, use me for your glory. I'm yours. Amen. If you did business with the Lord right there today, receiving for the first time or rededicated your life, I want to pray for you and I want you to make a stand for Jesus right now in the face of an enemy who wants to defeat you. If you made a decision for Christ, receiving him or rededicating to him right now, raise your hand. Say, Brad, I did business with the Lord and I'm not ashamed. Amen. I don't see you. The Lord does. Impact Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause? Thank you for his word. And I hope that you learned a little bit today as the newspaper comes out about what's going to happen tomorrow. And uh, inside that, we didn't get to touch on the difference between... Gog, Magog, and Armageddon, but there's a difference. We'll get to that as we talk about Armageddon, but we know that is the battle at the end. That's different than what we just talked about with Gog and Magog, because this is a battle that happened somewhere um, around the beginning of the tribulation or just before. So anyway, we'll talk about those as we go through. Come back next week as we look to div, uh, dig and dive deeper into God's Word and learn from Him as well. Let's go make an impact for Jesus.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.